Corey Harvest. You know, the uh, last couple of years has uh, felt like a constant waiting, hasn't it? Like just a waiting, and we've heard this phrase a lot, just waiting to, for a return to normal. And so we've been in this, in this text for the last few weeks, 2 Thessalonians. In fact, if you have your Bibles on you this morning, go there. Go to 2 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 3 this morning, finishing up this letter in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we're, we're reading because it was a group of people waiting, and, and like us, waiting. And nobody likes waiting. Nobody wants to wait. We don't want to wait for appointments. We don't like waiting in traffic. We don't like waiting for a, a package to arrive. We don't like waiting for Christmas to come. And, and here's this letter, this young church in Thessalonica. And they're wondering about Christ's return. And they're wondering about, in the meantime, as you wait for that, what do we do? What do we do in the waiting? And, I, and for us, we have the same thing. Okay, what are we doing as the church? For them, waiting was during a time of persecution. Life has been hard for this church in Thessalonica. As soon as they gave their lives to Christ, there was persecution that came in. As soon as they gathered together as the church, there was persecution. So the question they're asking is, when is Jesus going to come and put away all our waiting? And so for us here this morning, what, what do we do while we wait for that same thing? How do we do life as Christ followers? How do we do life as a church? Like, what do we do? Do we just huddle up and hide out and just wait for Jesus to come back because we see, man, this whole world is, is going to hell in a handbasket, so, so let's just hide out. Let's, let's, let's yell at the world from, from our little hideaways that we're supposed to do. Again, if, if you ask people, you know, when, when there's difficulty in our lives collectively, the question that comes out a lot is, man, are we in the last days? And that there's a curiosity that comes with that question. You know, you read scripture, you see what's going on in the world, and because it's happening to us, it becomes very important to us. We're like, man, is, is, is this it? Like, is Jesus coming back soon? But the, the real question that I hope we're asking is not so much about, is this, when is it happening? But the question is this, because we are in the last days, and Jesus said it from the time, the, after, right after the cross, he told his disciples, you're now in the last days. So that's where we are. We know we're there. So the real question is, what does that change? And if we're that much closer to Christ returning, what do I do with my life in these last days? And the, the Thessalonica, Thessalon the church of Thessalonica, Thessalonians, here they are. They're asking that question. They're wrestling with this. And in fact, some of them so assured of the fact that Jesus is coming back so soon, they stopped working. Because seriously, if Jesus is coming back tomorrow, why put on the tool belt, right? Paul lays out some super practical instructions for how do we live our lives if we wait for the return of Christ, or, or let's get really practical, how, how we live our lives today, right now. What are we doing with our lives? We're going to see something that's so simple, something so doable for us. It's, it's not going to be super satisfying for everybody. Everyone's not going to be like, oh, that's it, awesome, because it's, it's so simple. But in, in these weird times, church, that we find ourselves living in, in these difficult times, here's what we're going to be called to do from this text. Pray. Work hard wherever God has you and pursue Jesus together. And that's it. Pray, work hard, and pursue Jesus together. But there's got to be something more. Like, like, like I need something huge to grab a hold of. I, I want something that's, that's life-changing, that's, that's eternity-altering. Like, and Paul says, this is it. This is what's life-changing. This is eternity-altering. This is so worth giving all your energy to. And if you're looking for a purpose in life, here it is. Pray, 
work hard, pursue Jesus together. You see right away in 2 Thessalonians, look at the first five verses here. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. He's saying, hey, you guys grabbed a hold of the gospel and it changed you. Pray that that happens all around you. And, and this it says, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. So see right away what Paul's saying is, hey, what do we do in the waiting? He says, pray. Pray. Pray for transformation. Now, now the Apostle Paul here asking this brand new church to pray for him. I mean, how cool is that? I would get it if the Apostle Paul writes a letter to, to this church and says, hey, here's how I'm praying for you. And he does say that in this letter. He talks about things he's praying for them. But the, but the fact that Paul, Paul, gifted, powerful, competent, effective Apostle Paul. I mean, this guy had unbelievable abilities. Absolutely brilliant. He was, he was persuasive. He was educated. He was trained. He was spiritually minded. He was experienced. I mean, this guy had it all, but all that natural ability that Paul had, it wasn't the source of his power. It wasn't the source of his effectiveness. It was the power of God at work in him that transcended all the natural giftedness that Paul had. And so Paul says this to this church. He says, I need you to pray for me. That, that word there, pray, it's in the present tense, which means this. It's continually keep on, don't stop, always pray for me. The Apostle Paul. Jesus in the garden the night before he was crucified, he said to his disciples, hey guys, I need you to pray for me. So, so here we are. I, I picture us, we're these un, unspoken, unknown names of this, this church in, in Thessalonians. Just, just like us, this is us. And, 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 and the question asked is this. What can we do to have purpose? What can we do to have impact? And this says this to us. It says, pray. Pray. Pray that the word of God, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it would, it would race ahead, it would be honored, it would win, it would, it would do what it's supposed to do, it would be glorified, it would have an impact in changing lives. And so maybe you've been asking this question, how do I have significance in my life? How, how do I do something that has impact? And, and not just significance for like a lifetime, but I mean, I want to see something to impact for eternity. Right, because we, what do we do? We, we look at people and we weigh their significance by what they produce. Great authors, great artists, great thinkers, great inventors, great, great business leaders, great athletes. I mean, you look at a guy like Elon Musk and you're like, that guy has significance. That guy has impact. I mean, what he's done in his lifetime is incredible. I mean, people, people just got back from flying in a rocket of his into space. And not, not NASA-trained astronauts, but like, like men and women like you and me up in space and come back down. It's incredible. Crazy significant. And, and yet, listen, in light of eternity, I mean, in a moment, we're going to be standing before God. James 4 14 says that our life is like this morning mist. It's, it's here for a moment and then it's gone. 
And so, so here we are in eternity standing before God and as Christ followers just, just praising him that we've been saved by, by Jesus and we're standing there. And listen, while we're standing before God, SpaceX is gone. Tesla is gone. All the great works of men and women, the novels, the art, the Super Bowl rings, the business venture, the stuff that we've accumulated, gone. But but here's what I picture. At the throne, there is this, this simple Christian, and, and she spent her, her lifetime every day on her knees, praying that the Word of God would speed ahead and, and, and would win, would be glorified. And surrounding her, as she's around the throne, you're like, I don't even know her. I've never seen this person before. But around her, as far as you can see, is a crowd of people from every tribe and tongue and nation praising God, saying, thank you, God, for our salvation, and thank you for this Christian who prayed that we would hear and believe and be transformed. I mean, we, amen, we, we have that opportunity. So let me ask you, what does this look like in your life? Because nobody rolled in here this morning shocked to hear a pastor saying, we should pray. But let me be bold here telling you the greatest challenge for our church is this. The greatest need for our church is this. It's a simple challenge. Let's pray. We talk about prayer a lot. I mean like really pray. We, we say those words, hey, I'll pray for you. How about let's not say that ever again as a church. Let's not say, hey, I'll pray about that. Instead, let's, let's take that phrase out and add this phrase in, phrase in. Hey, let's pray right now. Can I pray for you right now? Because if you're like me, confession time, when I say I'll pray for you, unless I write that down, I mean, how often do you remember, right? How, how about let's pray, let's pray right now. Let's bring this to the Lord. It's, it's a huge responsibility for us as a church. It's, it's an awesome calling. It has incredible potential for explosive power. I mean, do you believe that, that our communities can be turned upside down by the gospel when we pray? Because here's what Paul's asking for prayer for. He's saying, pray that the word of God, word of God, pray that the gospel would go out. He's saying, pray for your pastors as they lead. Pray for each other as you go out into the world, as, as, as men and women in the workplace, as students at school, everyone with your, your neighbors, your friends, and your family. He's saying, pray for gospel opportunity. Pray for for. Opportunities to display the gospel and how you live and to speak the gospel, to talk about Jesus. Because you have to see that the, the whole drive of the New Testament as we wait was never how soon can we escape this crazy messed up world. No, no, no. That's not what the New Testament teaches. It, it teaches this. Lord, use me to bring new life to my world now while I wait for you to ultimately make all things new. That's the prayer of the New Testament. So let's pray for these opportunities. I just heard of one this week. It was one of our students and youth ministers. They're all at a retreat this weekend. I mean, it's just unbelievable what God's doing in our youth. There's one youth was at home with his parents, and, he's, and then he said to his parents, hey, hey I, I put this verse on my phone. And his dad's like, why do you have a verse on the front of your phone? He goes, because when I'm in school and I have my phone out, maybe my friends will go, what is that? And they're like, awesome, let me tell you what it is. I mean, how cool is that? Like, pray for those kind of opportunities that you would step out. And in order to do that, not just pray for opportunities, we need to pray for courage, don't we? Because what's Paul say? He says, not everyone has faith. There are wicked and evil people. 
So Paul's saying, protect the word of God. Protect us as we go out. He's not saying, hey, we don't want to have any trouble. He's saying, give us the courage to be able to step out in. Protect us as we go that the message could be proclaimed. Pray for opportunities. Pray for courage. I would say this, too. There's an outward of this, but it actually begins first in our own heart. I think we pray for the gospel to have an impact here so I can live it out with courage. Because look what he says in verse 3. He says, but the Lord is faithful. He'll establish you. He'll guard you against the evil. You see what he's saying? He said, you need to believe this. And, and we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. So we do. We, we remember the gospel for ourselves. We remember the faithfulness of God, the, the steadfast love of Christ. And Paul says, direct your hearts there. Remove all other distractions. Remove those things that knock you off the foundation of Christ. Keep your hearts focused on the gospel. The gospel that says, like Tim Keller would say it, right? That, that we're more sinful than we'd ever admit. At the same time, we're more loved than we could ever imagine. That's the hope we rest in. Don't let anything else distract you from that reality of the gospel. Don't, don't have a better handle on COVIDology than you would on theology, all right? Just make that word up. It's a real word now, all right? Don't let politics, don't let vaccines, don't let viruses, don't let that stuff distract you from the mission we've been called to. Listen, listen, don't let sin, don't let guilt, don't let shame distract you from the truth of the gospel. And let's pray the gospel goes out. Here's the second thing Paul calls to pray. And he seems to take what seems like a, a very weird turn next. Because he, he says, pray that the word goes out, that lives will be changed. You're like, that sounds about right. That's good. That's a good thing to do as Christ followers. But then he goes on and says, oh, and don't be lazy or hang out with lazy people. For real. Look, look at verse 6. This is that we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you keep away from any brother or sister who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It's not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let them not eat. For here that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. So what do we do while we wait? We pray. Just like what? Work hard. Work hard. Now, now we're going to see as we unpack this, it goes deeper than just your work ethic, but that's where Paul's starting. And, and he's addressing a very specific situation in this church. When you read 1 Thessalonians, he already started. He said just really quickly, hey, for those of you who stop working, work hard. They obviously didn't listen. Now he takes more time, right? It's like a parent when you say to your kid, hey, do this. They disobey. The next conversation will be a bit longer, right? So Paul's leaning into this situation because there are people who are living off of the good-heartedness of a gospel-driven church. These are people who, listen, who could work, but they decided it's easier just to get help. They were very busy at not working. So 
Paul gives a few commands. He gives some commands to the church about this, and he gives a command to those who are not working. He says to the church, hey, don't encourage that laziness. Don't encourage any brothers and sisters. Don't enable them to do that. And, and to those who are refusing to work, they, now listen, these are fellow Christians. He's not calling out the world here. These are people who claim the name of Christ but don't work hard. And he says, hey, you're representing Jesus. Get to work. Now, it might sound like a really odd sin to call out. I think that's because church has been pretty good at calling out certain sins and ignoring others, Right? Right? So as churches, I mean, the church has been great to crush it when it comes to calling out any type of sexual sin. And all the while, churches can be known for being places of, of incredible gossip. And so this text is hard. Why? Because Paul's calling out something that we would normally say, eh, really, that's the sin you want to call out. It's so important. Listen, listen. God made us to work. Okay? Work was in the garden before sin messed with the garden. There was work. And so in these odd days that we're living in, and you're looking, hey, what do I do in light of Jesus' return? Your job is more than just throwing a hammer all day. Your job is more than just selling homes or policing our town or teaching or nursing. Whatever it is you do for a job, God made us to work. That job, and you need to hear this, is a high call. Part of the Reformation, when the church had a huge shift to bring the church back to the Word of God, part of it was fought for was this. Hey, being a pastor is not a higher calling than being a, a baker. So, so your job is a high calling. It matters. Your work matters. It's more than a paycheck. It's, it's more than a, a path to retiring. It's, it's, listen, it's about honoring and glorifying God in what you do. Because look at verse 11 and 12. He says, we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. So, so as a Christian, if you're a teacher, you don't work for Trillium Lakeland District School Board. You're, you're actually working for the Lord. If, if you're a builder, you don't just work for your client or for your boss. You're working for the Lord. If you're a waiter or a waitress, you don't just work for the restaurant. Listen, you work for the Lord. As Christians, we have a higher calling about our work. Which means this. Here's what, think of what, how it would transform our, our communities here. If, if employers would be saying, man, I want to hire people from that Harvest Church. They're the most honest, hardworking people ever. And, and then you're, you're in your workplace and your boss sees you standing out differently from everybody else. You work hard, you, you lean in, you work quietly, you earn your living. And he says, why are you such an awesome employee? And you can say, because I serve God and everything I do. People looking for work should be saying, I want to work at that place where I know that boss, he goes to that harvest church because they're the best boss you could ever have. And then when they ask, man, why are you such a good boss? And you could say, because I serve God in everything I do. Think about just the way you work, how it could open up opportunities for the gospel. Think about the way that we often don't work or that some wouldn't work, how it closes doors for the gospel. Right, students, kids, you're not off the hook either, all right? What about you? It says here, parents, don't feed your kids if they don't do chores, so you don't get stuck. I'm kidding, all right? Don't let that get out. It'll be on 
you know, Facebook, local pastor tells parents to starve children. Now, I'm not saying that hit me, but but aren't we called to, the, to this as parents that we would we would we would put in the work to disciple our kids and kids? Listen, listen, you put in the work. You don't do chores just to get your allowance. You do it because you're saying I want to serve Jesus as a part of my family. I'm going to lead into this. You're welcome, Mom and Dad. All right, that one's for you. But listen, it's also for you to put that work in. And how often are we like, man, my kids just just a, a trainer. They're not doing anything they're supposed to do. They're not doing this and and. Yeah, of course I gave them a cell phone to put gas in the car, but maybe if you don't work, you don't eat, right? And Paul says something also to the church in regards to people refusing to work. So that's to those, he's talking to people who are, who are choosing not to work. And look what he says in verse 6. We, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother or sister who's walking in idleness. This is a command, right? This is not a suggestion. And this is for those who claim to know Christ. This isn't for the outside world, right? We're not in the business as a church judging those who aren't following Christ. Right? That's not our job. We're not to call out sin in the world. We're to introduce them to Jesus and let Jesus begin to do that work in their hearts, right? So Paul here, talking about a church family issue. He goes, family meeting, guys. Let's talk about this. Now, now, traditionally, these letters would be read aloud in the church. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians, he says that. Hey, gather the church and read this letter out loud. So you can imagine, they're like, hey, we got a new letter from Paul. Rally up, everybody. And you get to this passage, and you're like, mm, and you know who you are. You may be the lazy person, or maybe the one who's been, who's, been, who's been giving stuff, and you're like, man, you just said to keep away from me. And, and you can hear that, and it says, this doesn't sound very Christian. I'd say this, if you're ever reading in God's Word and it doesn't sound Christian to you, it's because our idea of Christianity has drifted because the Bible is not wrong, all right? And what we can tend to do is we can take passages that we really love and we emphasize those and we avoid these kinds of passages. I would way rather talk about love your neighbor, like let's do that, but stay away from lazy people. But the Bible says both clearly. So what, what do we do in this tension? Are, like, are we to radically love people? Yes, love people radically. But, but what we see in Matthew 18 or in 1 Corinthians 5, when a brother or sister in our community is caught in unrepentant sin, you go to them, you, you plead with them. If they still don't repent, you treat them like they don't know Jesus. And that's hard to get our, our heads and especially our hearts wrapped around. Let me make sure we don't understand, misunderstand what Paul's saying here. There's a difference between caring for the widows, the poor, the hungry, the hurting, and what he's talking about here. Those who are willingly embracing the sin of laziness. They're unwilling to repent of it. Two different groups of people. The, the, the one in Scripture we're called to go towards, to, to love, to go after, to have compassion, to, to gather around. Right? The widows, the, the orphans, those who are poor and hungry. But the other one who is like, I know I can work, I choose not to. He says, don't tolerate that. Man. Don't put up with that. That's hard, though, because I mean, if you're like me, you're like, yeah, but we're all sinners. We all have something we wrestle with. We all struggle. Why, why would Scripture say don't hang out with these people? What's really being said here? In the waiting, we're called to pray. We're called to work hard. Here's the last thing we're called to do. Pursue Jesus together. 
Pursue Jesus together. That, that, that word together is important. This is about community. What Paul's talking about in this is about community. And it's hard for us to get our heads wrapped around because we live in such an individualistic society. So much of our culture is, is really shaped more by American politics than it is by the Word of God, right? And we love our personal freedom. Nobody can tell me what to do. I, I rule my own life. New Testament church was so different. They, they valued community. They, they would say, I'm not going to put myself above the community. Belonging becomes such a big deal. They, they did life together so much more than just a, a Sunday morning, let's come and hear a preacher. No, no, the community was crucial. It's, it's why we're putting such a, a, a heavy focus on what we're calling life groups. More than just a small group of people doing some programmatic thing the church tells us to do. No, it's, it's you grabbing three or four, maybe five or six people that you're going to say, let's grow in Christ together. Let's encourage each other together. And so here in this text, there's this, this community pleading to this command. It's saying to that, that, that person in willful sin, don't live this way. This is not the way we're called to live. And the, the hope is, as you treat them as an outsider, that that, that coldness, that, that harshness of being outside the community would wake them up and they would see the seriousness of their sin and say, man, i got to get back. And Paul says, even more than that, if they don't work, they don't eat. If they're refusing to work, he says, don't enable it. Call them to godliness. Now, obviously, this takes wisdom, doesn't it? And I thank God for our benevolence teams that have, have helped us care for so many people in our church and in our community. But sometimes that care is this. Hey, no more groceries. We're going to help you find a job. So sometimes that care is this. Hey, hey, let's look at your budget. Let's help you budget better. But the other motivation here, it's, it's not just this call to community. It's, this, it's the purity of the community as well. It's the purity of, of what we're trying to do as a Christ community. Now, now, not perfection of the community, because we're not a perfect church, all right? So we say to each other, there's a purity we're pursuing. Why? Because we want to be a people who treasure Jesus. And so for that sake, we want, we want to call each other to the gospel. Listen, this is not a judging thing, all right? So again, I've said this before. When you hear a sermon like this, it's not everybody doesn't grab their little junior Holy Spirit badge and get to walk around pointing out sin in everybody's life. That's not what this is. This is a rescue work for those you love. It's a loving work. It's, it's done in community with those you do community with. Because listen, some of the greatest conversations I've been a part of, and they're hard. And I don't mean the conversations where I reach out to somebody else. I mean the conversations where people come to me, people who know me, people who love me, and they say, Kai, I noticed something in your life. Can we talk? I just had a conversation just in the last couple of weeks like this, and I'm telling you how hard it is when your flesh wants to defend, when your flesh wants to hide. But there's, listen, there's life in repentance. <coughs> There's this beautiful community that's, that's created when there's a consistent repentance and celebration of grace together. But let me say that again. There is a beautiful community that's created when there's consistent repentance and a celebration of grace together. So, so that when you say something that's uncalled for or inappropriate or mean-spirited and a Christian who loves you in your community comes up to you and says, hey, that wasn't okay. 
you sat there, it was, it was said with so much anger that just wasn't right. And, and, and for that person saying, you're right. That was not okay. Would you forgive me? You'd be like, forgive you? Of course I forgive you. Christ forgave me. That's Christian community. Or, or you're embracing some sin in your life, some stuff that scripture speaks so clearly about and, and, and someone comes alongside of you and says, hey, hey, I, I see what you're doing. It's not good. It's not, it's not biblical. It's not what Christ wants for you. And you disagree with them and go, I don't think so. And they, they get some more people who love you and together they plead with you. Now there's a group of people and now you're like, man, maybe I am off. And in humility, you're like, guys, thank you so much for helping me see this. Will you please forgive me? Forgive you. Of course we forgive you. Christ has forgiven us. That's Christian community. And it, it can be so messy at times. Why? Because we're all a bunch of sinners and we're all seeking Jesus. We're all celebrating grace together. And listen, the world's community out there, when you're called out in your sin, listen, if you go to the world, they're going to accept you. They're going to love you. They're going to support you no matter what, whether it's right or wrong, whether it's leading to destruction or not. And it's so easy. Why? Because you don't need to change anything. A Christian community. They're brothers and sisters who will fight for your godliness. That's hard. That's uncomfortable sometimes. But it's such a good community to be a part of. To know that when you're a part of this family, you know, hey, I know that if I'm wandering, I know if I'm blind to something in my life, and I know that there are brothers and sisters who love me enough to, to rescue me. Community that would say, My life is for Jesus, and I, I want all of us to treasure Jesus that way. It's, it's interesting, Paul uses the word here, he says, Those who are idle. And it, and it is right to say that, that that would be lazy, that would be not doing anything, but that word idle, it literally means disordered. It means those who are out of order. And so Paul's not just saying, Hey, you need to stop being lazy. He's actually saying you're, you're living your lives out of order. You're, you're living out of the design how God created you. You, you were created for something so different. You were, you were saved by Christ for something so much more. And so when you read those verses, don't, don't just think laziness. Let me ask you this. Where's your life disordered right now? Where is it out of design to what you know God has called you, saved you, and changed you? Isaiah 53 says that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We all get out of order. And it says, and the, and the Lord has laid upon him, upon Christ, the iniquity, the disorder of our lives has been laid on him. And the, the hope for those with disordered lives, the hope for those with sin, the hope is putting your life in Christ. Why? Because the verses before that say Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the punishment, the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds were healed. And so every time we, we call each other out on sin, every time we do that, we're proclaiming good news. We're proclaiming this good news, that you're able to repent. Every time we lovingly and graciously call each other out on sin or call each other to Christian community, it's, it's proclaiming the good news, listen, that repentance is possible for any sin. That there's a way back when we've wandered. 
So listen, don't be, don't be trapped in shame. Don't, don't hide in sin. Instead, celebrate grace as you humbly repent. So I would guess that for each one of us, there's a way in our life where we can see where we're living out of order to what God's called us to. As in loved ones, there's a way back home. There's grace, there's forgiveness at the cross. And, and if you're seeing a brother or sister who you love and you're doing life with them and, and you see that there's, there's parts of their life that's so out of order, that's where you're leading them to. You're leading them to the cross where you yourself are, where you're brought low in repentance. You're, you're lifted up in worship. You're, you're resting in the forgiveness and the steadfast love of Christ. What do we do while we wait? We pray for the gospel to go out and be powerful. We work hard that reason and we pursue this together together so as we wrap up I, I want to give you some time even right now to consider your life is there disorder because listen his, his grace is greater than any sin and so as we end here, here's what I want us to do uh, listen again it, it can be awkward we've been doing this a lot lately but uh, I would say this if you're here as a family, you can huddle up as a family. If you're here as a couple, you could grab each other. If you're on your own and you want to pray on your own, that's fine. Maybe someone around you goes, hey, join us. And here's what I want you to do. I want us to end off this morning, not me praying over us and for us, but me, like Paul, saying, hey, would you pray for us? Here's what I want to ask you to pray about. Maybe you'd start with you first. Pray, pray for the gospel in you. Maybe where you've lost the hope, the truth, of the steadfast love of Christ. Maybe you've been wooed by sin. Maybe you've been caught in apathy. Maybe you're buried in shame this morning. Then you would pray, God, let your grace be revealed to me again today. The amazing truth that Jesus brings rescue. Jesus, who lived the perfect life, who died a death in our place, who took the penalty for our sin, raised again to life, that his victory becomes our victory, and that you would celebrate that this morning. And maybe, maybe this morning you're like, but I, I haven't. I don't even know, I'm just here checking out church, that that would be your first prayer. God, show me this grace. I want to live with that victory. So when God looks at you, he sees Jesus' perfect life. That's the anchor for our soul. Right? It's, it's not a call to try harder. It's rejoicing it. It's embracing. It's understanding and living under the truth of the gospel, that Jesus has taken care of your greatest need. So I start with that prayer. Pray to have your heart directed to that truth. And then this. Pray for the gospel to go forward. Maybe you're going to pray for specific names. Maybe there's people in your life that you're like, this is someone God's laid on my heart. Pray. Pray for each other. Pray for the courage and the opportunities. Pray for us as a church community. So as you go to prayer, what do we do in these last days? Verse 13, don't grow weary in doing good. Pray for gospel to transform. Pray that we'd work hard as a, as, as a witness to Christ and that we do all this together, pursuing Jesus together. So, so I'm going to give you a few moments. I'm going to close this out in prayer. But right now, if you, if you want to be on your own and pray, that's great. If you want to huddle up in groups, that's great. Take a few minutes. Pray. Pray for the gospel in your own life and the gospel will go out. Take some time right now. pray that um, by your spirit you continue to convict in any way we've wandered from you. I thank you that you're so gracious to not let us live in disorder, but you would, 
Use your spirit to convict. You have your word bring conviction. You, you even have brothers and sisters around us. God, you just love us so much. And so, God, I pray that we would celebrate when sin has been revealed because it's an opportunity to celebrate your grace. Okay. To celebrate the fact that, that it's only by your grace we can repent, but it's not on us then, it's on you, that you give us the power to, to lay these sins down, to, to experience the, the hope of the gospel again. And so God, I pray that, that we would celebrate that as much as possible, that you pursue us, that you, you can bring us home, that you help us to acknowledge us and, and worship you more and more. And God, I pray that as the sound of prayer was coming up from this parking lot, God, to know that it's it's not just people praying in a parking lot, but God, by your word, you promise that your spirit is at work in these prayers. God, that lives can be transformed. That God, you would use us as broken people who have found hope. That you would use us to lead others to the hope in you. And that God, as we continue to pray, that you'd be changing hearts. That you'd be building courage in us. That you'd be providing opportunities for us. That the gospel could sweep across our towns and transform them, that, that revival would happen here with us first as we often bring our lives into repentance and revival happens and spreads out as we pray for the lost to be saved. May your word transform us. We love you, Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let, let me send you out with this promise in verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in every way. The Lord be with you all. God bless you guys. See you next Sunday for baptisms and some pizza. Well, know this, you are loved. You are loved, honest.